0: Please join me in prayer. Father, please open our hearts and our minds to receive from your word. Encourage us and equip us in all areas to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year for your honor and glory and for the good of ourselves, our families, and all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, illuminate the darkness in our hearts. Lord, have mercy. Lord Lord Jesus, open our eyes to your saving love. Christ, Christ, have mercy. Lord Jesus, unstop our ears to hear your living word. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Please be seated. Back in 1985, when I was 12 years old, I began playing Super Mario Brothers. It was a new game at that point, came out in 1985, and a friend and I named Randy Raymond, we played that game night, day, every day, as often as we possibly could in order to beat the game. And we did. All 32 levels we defeated of Super Mario Brothers. Well, my kids have started playing Super Mario Brothers, but it's on the Wii. They were playing, they were having a hard time. I happened to be a Super Mario Brothers expert. I said, hand me that remote. And I sat down, I'm like, let me show you how to do this. Boom, I die. Boom, I die. Boom, I die. I handed the remote back, there is something wrong with this controller. It is so different. Like It just—it doesn't run the same. It, nothing is the same. There's something very wrong with this game. But I sat and I played with them and I worked on it. There's a particular level, like really early on, that I just couldn't get past. Honestly, none of us could. However, you can set it so the computer will run it for you and it will show you how to defeat the level. And so you just sit and watch it and it shows you where to go, when to jump, what to do and everything. It was pretty awesome. My youngest son was like, can we just watch that again? That's all I wanna do is just watch this Mario game. Like, do you wanna play? No, I like watching it. (laughs) It showed us how to play the game, how to do what was necessary in order to get to the end of the level. This morning, I want to help us see what it looks like to live kingdom first by showing you what Jesus did. I want us to watch a video of Jesus living kingdom first so that we can see what it looks like. Open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we're beginning in verse 12. And what I want us to see are the things that matter to Christ and the way he lived those out. What matters to him and how does he live in light of it? And here's the first thing. People really matter to Christ. And I don't mean that generically. Individuals, individual people mattered to him. People that other people didn't think matter, mattered to him. And it's how he lived it out. Verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now just notice how it starts out. It's some city and it's some guy. Like there's no specifics. Just a city somewhere, a guy somewhere, he has leprosy. And if he has leprosy, The only reason anybody cares is so they can stay away from him. But they don't care about him. He's no longer a name or a person. He's something to be avoided. He is something that is to be left over there so that we don't get unclean by him. And he comes and he knows Jesus is there and he falls down, have you ever fallen on your knees in front of somebody before? I mean, we talk about begging, how humiliating. Like how much do you have to want something to just fall on your knees before somebody and beg? That's what this man is doing because for some undisclosed amount of time, he has lived isolated. You know what it's like to not have human touch? He's been isolated. Nobody's around him, he's by himself, And when Jesus comes, and it's interesting because as hard as this is for the man with leprosy, what he doesn't do is demand Jesus do something. He absolutely believes Jesus can, and he still falls on his knees and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. You can do this. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus does something completely unnecessary. There's a miracle where a man comes to Jesus and talks about his servant being sick and Jesus says, go, your servant's being healed. Um, He doesn't touch the guy. He's nowhere near the guy, but he heals him with a word because the touch is completely unnecessary. Jesus could have healed the leprosy just by saying, be gone, I don't even think he had to wave his hand like this. I think he could have just said, be gone, and it would have been gone. But what he does is he takes a hand and he reaches out and he touches this man. This man has not been touched since he was diagnosed with leprosy, however long that has been. Do you know what that touch must have meant to him? An unnecessary thing that would have made Jesus unclean, but he doesn't care because people matter. Even the person who has no name in a city with no name that nobody else wants to get near matters to Jesus. Enough to reach out and touch the man. And this is what you see in his ministry. You see all over the place Jesus noticing people, he is at a dinner and it's a prominent rabbi and he's surrounded by other prominent religious leaders and a known prostitute sneaks into the meeting, falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to cry and get his feet all wet. You know how embarrassing that would have been in that culture? A prostitute is touching you a woman at a man's dinner is touching your feet and you're getting cried all over in front of all of these bigwigs. And Jesus does what? He defends her. Because he notices people. A woman at the well, a half-breed Samaritan woman who is sleeping her way around to provide for herself. Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And we may not get how weird that is until the disciples show up and like, what is he doing? He's talking to a woman and a Samaritan. What is going on? Because individual people matter to Jesus. And even in a crowd, there's a point where Jesus leaves because he's exhausted and he's trying to get away from everybody. And he's up on a hill and all of these people, tons of people follow him. And he looks out and he sees them. And I don't mean that as like, oh, golly, here's a giant group of people. Oh, man, we've got to feed these folks. What in the world? They're going to be grumbling and griping. We've got to do something about them. Get rid of them. It says they looked like sheep without a shepherd to him. That takes insight. That takes paying attention. Like when he saw those people, it wasn't just a group of people. It was sheep without a shepherd that needed something, and he wanted to give it to them. Back in the 1980s, the, you know, high points of the AIDS epidemic, especially in not knowing what it meant, in the 80s, if you got AIDS, it was a death sentence, that's what everybody thought, and we didn't really understand, or at least the common person didn't understand how it was transmitted. You got AIDS, nobody wanted to touch you, they didn't want to be near you, they didn't want to hug you. They were having problems trying to figure out how to take care of kids who were being dropped off at hospitals because they were so afraid of getting transmitted from the kid to anybody around them. Much like leprosy, AIDS people were not being touched or hugged or cared for. And it was so bad that there were homes trying to be built for people or at least rented Landlords wouldn't rent space. Eventually, when you would get space rented, they had to hide what they were doing. There was a place called Grandma's House in Washington. And Grandma's House, at one point, they got it established, it was for children of AIDS, with AIDS, 24-hour care. When it was discovered what they were doing, they couldn't get the telephone company to come out and hook up a line. Because the people hooking it up didn't want to go into the home because there were all these kids with the AIDS in the home. They were outcasts. In 1989, a motorcade surrounded by security came down this little street to grandma's house. And Barbara Bush got out. And neighbors they were describing as going, is that 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 is? and she walked into this home, and she went to the kids' play area, and she got down on the ground and started playing with these kids who had AIDS. There was a child in one room who had been asleep, and they walked in, they were showing her around, and this kid began to and they went and they picked the kid up, and the kid was fussing, and according to the lady who was working there, Barbara Bush said, you need to step aside and give me that child. I'm gonna show you what a grandmother can do. And she took this baby and just patted and soothed this child. Knowing that the first lady was coming, they got permission to invite a group of men, all AIDS men, to come in and at least meet her in the home. They came in and while she was standing there, one of the men said this. Can I have a hug? And without hesitation, the first lady gave him a big hug. Because they weren't being touched. They were being avoided. They were outcasts. She wouldn't let it stand. That is what Jesus was about. Nobody was too low. Nobody was too far gone. Nobody was just a number. To Jesus, people mattered. That is what it means to share the king's redemption. All people are worthy of the love of the king because all people are made in his image. Because Christ died for the world, not for the good people, not for the people who weren't maybe too bad, for the world. And we have a call to be like our Savior. He's showing us the blueprint. All people matter. Secondly, for Jesus, God's will matters. Verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. You know, it's really interesting. This is a pretty emotional moment. I mean, here's this guy who's had leprosy and been an outcast. Jesus touches this man. His disciples are there with him. There's probably a few other folks who've looked on because as Jesus came into the town, they were following him around. Maybe some other lepers who were in the colony also came out. But can I tell you something? Leprosy's not healed every day. This is not like a normal thing. Like, oh, another leper got healed. Great, let's move on. This is something really significant. He reached out his hand and touched a leper and the leprosy left him. This is a huge moment, a special emotional moment. What happens to you in really big moments of your life? I don't usually think that clearly. I'm usually lost in the emotion. I'm lost in what's going on, whether that is joy or anger whether that is like rejoicing in something or I'm really depressed. But right in this moment, the very first thing Jesus says to this man, I don't think in any kind of mean way, not a legalistic way, but no matter what, God's will matter to Jesus. And so in this moment, he touches him compassionately. He heals him because he matters. And then he says, go and show yourself to the priest because that's what Leviticus 13 and 14 tell us we need to do. Follow what God's will is as revealed in his scriptures. Go, do what you're supposed to do. Show yourself to the priest, make the sacrifice, let him lead you through, because honestly, he needed another seven days, according to the law. He's healed, or he's cleansed, but he needs seven more days before he can actually then rejoin society. So go do what the law says, because God's will mattered to Christ no matter what was going on and it didn't have to be mean and it didn't have to be legalistic but it always mattered and if you look at his own life it is what you see hey think about i want i want us to think about the desert time right at the beginning of his ministry 40 days he goes into the wilderness and he fasts now could you imagine at the end of 40 days you are isolated you have not eaten and you have been in a harsh environment. The wilderness in the Israelite area, that wilderness is just barren land. At the end of 40 days, what are you feeling like? What happens when you get really emotional about something? Let's say, for example, something really awful happens at work and you just get so angry. Do you ever explode? What happens when you get so depressed about something? Do you ever just kinda like, eh, just giving up. Not gonna worry about it. Have you ever been so exhausted physically that you're just like, yeah, I don't really care. I'm just so tired, I just wanna go to sleep. Jesus could have had all of those things and yet every single temptation, what does he do? He goes right back to the will of God. No matter how tired, how exhausted, no matter how much he hasn't eaten, no matter where he's been, no matter how isolated he's been, he still keeps going back to God's will and going, but God says. Because the will of God meant so much to him. And you can see it throughout his ministry. He's always going back to it. The garden. I mean, he knows in the garden, right before he's gonna go to the cross, he knows what's happening. Like, he knows how bad it's gonna be. And he's in the garden going, please, please, Let this cup pass. And how does it end? Nevertheless, thy will be done. Because he was always looking for the will of God. I wanna brag for a moment on my five-year-old because I pick on him a lot. It's just so easy to do. I wanna brag on him. My five-year-old is in dance, which some of you know because I talked about one of his recitals that he had. Recently I picked him up from dance and I'm standing outside the door. And the door opens up, all these kids are coming out. There's like 10 boys in this class. They're all five and six. And as the boys are all coming out, the, uh, the instructor has got a bowl full of lollipops. What kid doesn't want a lollipop? And he's handing them out to every kid. And as he gets to Killian, he hands it out there and Killian looks at it and he goes, I can't have that. Uh, my mom doesn't let me have lollipops. And I'm standing right there and I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know if I could have done that. I mean, just think about the situation. He just spent an hour doing dance and I mean, these boys, are, they are moving all over the place. They are exhausted and tired by the end of this thing. He's got 10 other boys that are with him He's got the instructor who's saying, here's a lollipop for you. There's any number of reasons he could have taken that thing. And he could have taken it and just hidden it needing it later. He doesn't. He goes, no, my mom doesn't let me have lollipops. Why? I guarantee you it's not because he's worried about getting in trouble. This kid gets in trouble all the time. Half the time it's on purpose, I'm pretty sure. It's because he cares about his mom. He really does. I mean, he is, in the best sense of the word, he is a mama's boy. Um, When mom's not around, he's like, wait, wait, what game can we play when mom's here? Wait, where's mom at? And We need mom to come join us. Now, I'll tell you, I said, go ahead and take the lollipop because I'm such a good supporter of mom's rules. Jesus did the will of God all the time because he cared about his father. Because he always knew that his father had his best interest in mind. He always knew that what God was asking of him was the best possible course of action, no matter how hard it was. And if you ever wanna just kind of compare hardness, and just think about it, there are times in our lives where following the will of God will not be easy. I'm not sure there's anything God calls us to that will ever compare to the garden. I'm not sure there's anything Jesus didn't go through that he can't say, Yes, you can do this. I did it. Come to me. Because his will is always the best path, even when it's hard. Jesus cared about God's will, always. And lastly, verse 15. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. And right at the beginning when Jesus said he charged him to tell no one, um, that is at least partly related to the fact that when people learn about all the crazy things that Jesus is doing, they start coming from all over the place and it gets to the point where he can't even like enter a village. And so part of the don't tell anybody is I don't need that kind of publicity right now. That's not why I'm here. But... If you read the other accounts, the guy went out and told people. And so here you go. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But, verse 16, and possibly the most important point in all of this is this verse. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Time with the Father mattered to Jesus. And that probably sounds like a duh. I mean, like, when have you not heard that in Christianity? You need time with God. But I want us to think about this. Time with the Father mattered to Jesus. And it mattered a lot. Do you know there's a dozen different references throughout the Gospels where it talks about Jesus going away to pray, or to be alone. I mean, a dozen, do you know that before he calls the disciples, all 12 at once, he goes up on a mountain for an entire night and prays? Time with God mattered to Jesus. And, and there was never an excuse like, I just got so much to do, which is, by the way, exactly what some of my excuses become. The urgent takes over the important, but not for Jesus. Here's the urgent for Jesus. More and more people are coming to him, and you know what? They need help. They need to be taught. They need to be healed. They need demons cast out of them. I mean, they need help, and they're coming to him. If I am in his place, most likely I'm probably scrapping time with God because I got ministry to do. I gotta help all these people that are coming to me. I got the work of the Lord to do, and I'm scrapping the thing that isn't urgent. He never does this. Even when he makes the decision to feed all the people, do you know what he does afterwards? He still gets away to be with God. There may be moments where he says, this interrupts my time and I gotta help this person or these people, but then right after that, he's off with God again. He was always finding time to be with God. It was that important. Now, think about what time with people does. And I don't mean just with anybody. What does time with your spouse do for you? Good time. What does time with your kids do for you? What does time with a good friend do for you? Think about when you want to relax. Sometimes, when you want to relax, it is I just need a remote and a beer and the couch. Leave me alone. But sometimes it is I want some friends to come over so we can hang out. And what are you doing? You're being strengthened, you're being revitalized, you're getting contact. Jesus understood the value of time with his Father to be strengthened and renewed to get direction. I mean, that whole night he's praying about these 12 disciples, there's direction and guidance in that. But if we aren't taking the time, we're not getting the benefits. But, so let me give you a picture here. Anybody use Dropbox or iCloud or anything like that? Those those services where your files are stored? Here's one of the things recently that I started doing with Dropbox. Because our Dropbox has now got so much on it that I use it locally, I don't want all of these files on my hard drive. So what I've started doing is selective syncing. I've got some of the files on my hard drive, I've got some of the files up here. However, on my hard drive, you can see all of them. It's just some of them have the little cloud next to it. And when I click on it, it has to download it. So it's not taking up any space, well, little, little, tiny space, very little space on my hard drive. I can see it, I can click on it when I need it, but generally it's not taking up any space on my hard drive. That's the picture I feel like in my relationship with God sometimes. God's got this little cloud, and when I need him, I click on it, and I download quickly so I can be with him. But in general, he's not taking up any margin in my life. I'm doing some work and stuff for him, but he is not really taking up much margin in my life. I've just got him stored in the cloud, which really works for heaven, you know. Got him stored up there, and I'm just gonna download him when I I need him, when things are hard or when I feel guilty or something. That is not what I want my relationship to God to be. I want him taking up a space on the hard drive of my life, even though, you know what that means? Here's why I'm storing stuff up in the cloud, because I got too much stuff, it won't all fit. Why has God not got a larger margin in our lives? Because he doesn't have space. We got too much other stuff on the hard drive of our lives. If you want God to have space in your life, it will mean you've gotta upload some other stuff into the cloud and not have it right there. And that's hard to do, making those decisions. Now, I'll address one practical issue. It's kind of an admission, a little bit of a confession. I find it hard to spend time with God sometimes. After about a minute, I'm like, what now? Because maybe I'm less spiritual than the rest of you, but this is not my time with God. I sit down and go, hey, Lord, how are you? And God goes, I'm doing well, Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Can I tell you what happened? Sure, please, fill me in. And I let him know, and God says, "Well, here's what I think about that." And that's, um, let me tell you about what's going on in the universe." And he starts talking to me, and then we have, this. "That is not how my time with God goes. This is how my time with God goes. Are you ready? Listen. That's rough. That's hard to spend 15 minutes. But I don't have the relationship to God that at least I've heard some people have, where it's just this conversational thing. There's a lot of silence. There's a lot of walls looking at me, and not God. Um, How? How do we spend this time? Practically speaking, what do we do? I will tell you that your time with God can develop You can learn how to spend that time, and I'm gonna give you a couple practical tools right now. On the app, you can go to the Redemption app, and there's a thing called prayer. You can click on that thing called prayer, and there's a number of options under that. One of them is called the Daily Office. And, And what the Daily Office does is it takes you through a series of prayers, of listening, of reading scripture. Um, It it helps you take that time and be with God by using his word. There's something on the app um, called Sacred Space, Um, and it's even more just about prayer. And what it does is it takes you through a series of exercises that helps you focus your mind on what to do while you're in that time. How do I connect with God? It trains you to connect with God. And part of that is also scripture. And it gives you a scripture and it tells you to read it and it tells you how to read it and it gives you direction. If you have struggled with spending time with God, I guarantee you 100% you are not alone. Probably every single person in this room who has wanted to spend time with God may have struggled with it at one time or another and may still struggle with it. I can also tell you this. The times in my life where I've had the margin and I've spent the time with God, I have never regretted those times. They are the times where I have grown the most and I've responded the best because I'm with my Father. That's what Jesus did. He was with his Father regularly. So, If we're watching the video about how to play the kingdom first game, and you were wondering how do I live kingdom first? Jesus, people mattered. He took the time to notice them, to minister to them, to reach out to them and to love them. I was gonna say time with God mattered, but then I realized I'd skip over one of them and it would be the second one, the one that for some reason is just gone right out of my mind. No matter how many times I've said this, and and those of you you should be laughing because you've all had this moment right where you've walked up to somebody and God your name is oh goodness, and then you're super embarrassed and you don't want to say it and you don't want to admit it. Yeah, um, what's my second point? Thank you. Oh, it's God's will that I forgot. Wow. What does that mean? God's will always mattered to him, no matter what was going on in his life, and time with God always mattered to him. Now that's the picture. We watched the little Mario guy defeat the level. In fact, we watched it a couple different times. Then we pulled out the remote and we tried to do it. And do you know what happened? We utterly failed. Because just because we knew what to do didn't mean we knew how to do it. We had to practice. Like we knew now what we needed to do, but we actually had to practice doing it. It wasn't like the knowledge itself suddenly just made us know how to defeat the level. Here's what you know. Living kingdom first means certain things matter. People, God's will, time with God. But now we have to do something about it. We have to practice those things if we want to actually live that kingdom first life. Let's pray. Gracious heavenly father, thank you for your son. Thank you for all that he did for us the love and the grace, the sacrifice, the really giving of his life, not only on the cross, but every day as he walked this earth, the way he loved people and went out of his way for people, and yet the way that he stuck to following your will and constantly made time to be with you. Lord, help all of us see that picture and to start practicing what it means to live kingdom first. In the image of your son, our king,